eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And Tracy Pearson is unavailable today. He's uh, he's not practicing. He's unavailable. We'll see if he's a game-time decision. Um, you know, we determine our lineups on Fridays. Uh, later. Not right now. But I'm recording this show, and uh, we've got some stuff to talk about. Uh, going to break down the Stanford game, uh, my take on that. Uh, going to talk a little bit of basketball, getting ready for uh, the exhibition on Halloween. Uh, and then also um, just some broader uh, program thoughts uh, towards the end about where UCLA is uh, football-wise. Um, maybe you know, provide a little explanation for what I'm seeing on the board a little bit from what fans are thinking right now. Um, but we'll go into that at the end, but wanted to start off talking about Stanford, uh, game kicks off seven 30 on Saturday, um, UCLA traveling to Stanford. I, I always have to remember that a lot of people don't pay attention to pac 12 football, even obviously you out there listening, uh, as I do, because first it's my job, not your job. You're a fan. You're, you're like, who wants to sit around watching Stanford play football um, in previous games? And I get that. And also, um, you know, I've, I've got, you know, probably a significant mental illness that makes me uh, want to actually watch this stuff. So there's two factors kind of against me, but also for me in discussing this stuff. So I always have to remember that because I say things like Stanford's really bad and then people immediately return with, well, they just beat Colorado and wasn't Colorado pretty good. And then I have to get into like a nuanced discussion where I suddenly sound like I'm talking about, um, I don't know, jet fuel melting steel beams. So here's where we'll start. Um, Stanford did indeed beat Colorado last week in double overtime. Um, if you didn't watch the game, if you're just basing it off of final scores, that's impressive. It's on the road. Very impressive. Colorado at one point in that game was up 29 to nothing, uh, going into halftime. Uh, after halftime, they came out of the locker room, clearly thinking they had already won the game. And it took them until the very end to realize, oh no, we could actually lose this. And they didn't, they, they came out with absolutely no fire whatsoever, um, and Stanford took advantage. Uh, but I don't think that's necessarily a reflection of Stanford being that good. I think it's a reflection of Colorado maybe being a little bit undisciplined. Um, 
Stanford did discover something in that second half. Um, and this is one of those things where if you, you know, if you let the Petri dish simmer for a while, maybe something interesting is going to grow. And Colorado did that. Um, and in this instance, it was uh, Alec Iomanor. Um, so I talked about him in the game preview, but just to kind of underscore it, nobody knew or cared who this guy was until this last game. Um, he had 200 total yards in the first five games for Stanford, and then he had almost 300 against Colorado receiving. Um, just a completely out of not quite nowhere performance, but out of not quite anywhere performance. Um, he looked like every one of those crazy Stanford receivers over the years who just make ridiculous plays. And in fact, he was doing some of those plays in this game. The famous one where, um, I forget which UCLA DB, it's lost to memory, but where the ball is caught on his back with the receiver basically hugging him. Uh, Io Menor did that in this game to Travis Hunter, um, which, you know, wow. Um, I think it was Hunter. Might have been uh, Stoutmeyer. Stoutmeyer was having a bad game. Anyway, um, so Stanford discovered that in this game. Um, and Ashton Daniels had a good game in the second half, uh, but this was the same old Stanford in the first half. And as a contextual point, if all you've kind of seen about Colorado is what you've heard and you haven't actually watched them, this is a team with some distinct flaws. Uh, they can throw the ball, but they can't protect the passer. They can't run the ball and they don't play defense, but they've been able to hit enough big plays in the passing game that it's allowed them to win some games. Um, but they've, they haven't been sound in a lot of ways. Um, they have not been good at all defensively. It's one of the worst defensive teams in the country. Um, and so Stanford going in there and winning is a surprise, but it shouldn't be like, oh my God, this is uh, Stanford showing up and beating a really good team. Colorado is a is a much better team than it was last year, but I would I would stop well short of saying they're even a good team this year. They are probably decidedly below average, um, but with some volatility because of how good their pass game is. So that's the way I would think about Colorado. Um, and in that context, it's better to understand Stanford with that known. So uh, and the reason I bring that up is because people on the board are, are bringing up consistently this week the possibility of Stanford winning this game. And you can't rule any of that out. You obviously, you can never just sit here and say UCLA can't lose a game. We've all been watching UCLA too long to know that. But I'll say this. It doesn't have the complexion of a team that should give UCLA a lot of trouble. Um, looking at this game, Stanford is a... And I... I you know, I can t I tend to be hyperbolic. You might know this about me. Um, but Stanford is a horrible defense. Uh, it's, for my money, it's the worst defense I've watched this year. Um, and I'm including, whatever, San Diego State, Coastal Carolina, maybe not NC Central, but it's really, really, really bad. Um, their run defense is absolutely horrible. Uh, they allow a four-yard rush at least on an average of 60% of plays which is crazy. That's, that's nuts. Um, they are uh, really bad against the pass, too. Um, the only good thing about that defense that I identified was that their safeties can generally tackle well. That's it. Everything else is bad, 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 bad. And it's way worse than it was expected to be, too, uh, which speaks to 
probably some bad coaching and bad scheming on top of all of the talent deficits that um, Stanford has. And so, again, I'm going to work back for a second because I know not everyone's paying attention to other Pac-12 teams the way I do. Stanford is in the middle of a coaching change, right? David Shaw left last year. Troy Taylor comes in. Troy Taylor is the Sac State uh, former head coach. He's an offensive guy. Um, So you would expect his improvement would be on the offensive side, maybe not so much on the defensive side. Here's the thing. Unlike Colorado, unlike ASU, unlike USC a year ago, Stanford isn't able to reload uh, the way those teams are. Transfer rules are much more difficult at Stanford. Recruiting is much more difficult at Stanford. So an immediate talent influx did not come with the head coach in the same way it did in those venues. So you have a Stanford team. That is, generally speaking, not always, they've got some transfers, but generally speaking, having to change schemes to what their new coaches want with largely the same personnel that they previously had. There's going to be some growing pains. I don't think you blame any of the coaches uh, who are currently there. This is a classic, um, what's been coined as a year zero, uh, in that you don't even count this. This isn't even a year one. This is a year zero. They've got to blow it up and start again. And for Stanford, that's actually true because they cannot do what other schools are able to do because of their um, admission standards, not only for high school kids, but also for transfers. So that's the context for Stanford. Bad defense, very bad defense, and uh, probably not fixable immediately because of talent issues. But they're going to start installing their schemes because they want to, and those schemes might not fit the talent that's there. So that's, that's how to understand Stanford's defense. Offensively, it's not the Stanford you're used to seeing. Um, you know, there's they they do a lot of spread stuff. Um, they'll occasionally this is kind of tamped down in recent weeks, but they'll occasionally go tempo. Um, they do some things that are still similar. Um, I think because of again the nature of the guys they have, they've had to do a lot of lot of run game, a lot of QB run, um, but it's not the same sort of stuff you would have seen under previous Stanford regimes under David Shaw. Um, both Ashton Daniels and Justin Lampson, their quarterbacks, they'll each run the ball a lot. Um, I think Daniels is probably going to be the guy going forward because he's shown much more uh, potency in the passing game, uh, especially with the connection with uh, Io Manor against Colorado. Um, but it's a very run-heavy um uh, quarterback uh, position, and then their running backs are pretty good, and then they've now discovered a receiver who's pretty good. Their offensive line is very, very, very bad. Very bad. Um, and they've been able to scheme around it to an extent, and again, those running backs are pretty good, so they can make a little bit of chicken salad out of you-know-what, but it's not... The, the offensive line is very bad. They allow a lot of pressure. Um, they don't open holes very well. It's it's not good. Um the receiving game took a hit this week. Um, ben Urosek uh, got hurt last week against Colorado. He looks very unlikely to play. He's their big tight end who was making plays against Hawaii in the opener, um, has actually done some stuff as a rusher um, on end rounds. He's a really talented big body. Uh, he probably won't play. Um, John Humphreys, who you guys might remember um, from previous years, he's another one of those kind of tallish receivers Stanford has. He's been dealing with a nagging injury. He's probably not going to play either. So it's really, if you look at their receiving core, it's really down to Aya Manor. Um, and, you know, if it's one guy they have to cover, I, I'm relatively confident they'll figure it out. Um, and that's really the, the 
the state of the passing attack for Stanford. I think the rushing attack is probably going to be able to get some things, um, but this is this again is not an offensive like juggernaut that should cause UCLA's defense issues in the same way that Oregon State did. Oregon State, you know, reflecting now, um, and we were talking about this pregame that they they're a very balanced offense, and it's the you know can't UCLA can't cheat and take away one thing because the other thing could hurt them. Um, and it exposed some things that, like, okay, the the secondary still does have issues if it does have to kind of man up and, and single up on some guys. Um, and, the you know, the run defense isn't maybe so strong that it can be counted on to be elite against a team with a very good offensive line. So those are both, like, you know, kind of mitigating statements, cautionary statements, but this is still a very good defense and against the team as bad offensively as Stanford, I would really be shocked if the Cardinals scored more than 20 points. Um, and even that might be 20 would be kind of hard for me to stomach. Um, it's a bad offense. It's a bad offense that's improved from where it was last year and where it was expected to be this year, but it's not, it's not good by any stretch of the imagination. So, that's kind of the genesis of my thinking here. Um, and you'll notice I haven't even really thought, talked about UCLA. Um, UCLA is in an inter- interesting spot offensively. Uh, Dante Moore has been remarkably ineffective in the last three games. Um, and you you would have said, okay, Utah, that makes sense. Uh, but Washington State and Oregon State, I mean, uh Oregon State's defense was fine, but for them to uh, cause him as many issues as they did is that's that's not good. Washington State should not have caused him as many issues as they did. That's not good. Um, I, I think, you know, we talked about it in our three pointer at the beginning of the week. I think, you know, yeah, for UCLA, it's it's you got to find effective play at that position and. If Dante Moore, you know, okay, here's what I'll say. If Dante Moore plays against Stanford, I think he'd be probably fine. Um, You know, it depends on how much of this is in his head at this point versus just, you know, due to the quality of the defenses he's going against. Um, But he doesn't appear to be like, uh, he, he appears to be regressing in some ways, which is maybe my biggest concern. And for his development, I think the best thing would be you know, maybe just sit him for a game and see how things go. Um, the issue for UCLA is who's the other option. Um, you know, I think you kick the tires on Ethan Garber, see if he see exactly how committed he is to uh, red shirting. Um, Colin Schley's out with the sternum injury, um, and then you've got Chase Griffin, Justin Martin, and Luke Duncan. Luke Duncan, I think, is a fully committed red shirt this year. Uh, Justin Martin didn't relinquish his scout jersey this week so i think he's out so it's you know maybe chase griffin he's he's out of the scout jersey this week so i think ucla has options there or they could also continue to start dante Moore, um and you know be hopeful that the quality of the defenses that ucla is going to face over the next four games will uh be reflected in improved performance um but I think the big key for UCLA is to establish an identity outside of um, needing to make a ton of you know high-level throws and high-level decisions. Because, frankly speaking, whether it's Dante Moore, Ethan Garbers, or Chase Griffin, I don't think any of those guys are you know at this stage. I mean, Dante Moore I think has the talent to do this eventually, but at this stage, I don't think any of them are you know guys who are going to go out and execute the highest levels of this offense, this passing attack, the way they want to. Um, 
And so that that's a reconfiguration of your identity. Um, and I think it's a reestablishment of what has been kind of the base identity of this program for a long time, which is your running game. Um, and I think recommitting to that um, and, you know, figuring out a way to be the best possible rushing attack you can be is um, the the. Uh, I would say the primary matter of importance over the final six games of the year, if they want to, you know, finish with a successful year. Um, and so Carson Steele, TJ Harden, what they've been doing with Keegan Jones, uh, but even guys like Colson Yankoff and Anthony Atkins, I would just become a very rush heavy offense. Um, it's a good rushing attack. Uh, I think the offensive line blocks better for runs than they do for the pass. I think there's a lot of reasons to do it, um, including shaky quarterback play. But um, I would just go back to a little bit more tempo um, and running the ball a lot. I mean, it's, you know, I'm not going to say the word, but, you know, go back to the blur. Uh, But, you know, uh, just something that that kind of um, accentuates the strengths a little bit more of this offense than uh, uh, and mitigates the weaknesses. Um. So that's it offensively and then defensively against Stanford. Like I said, Stanford's just not really designed to um, cause issues for this defense. I think they'll be able to, you know, mostly shut down the run. Yeah, there could be some quarterback runs that go for a little bit and, you know, yada, yada. But with the deficit of, uh, of um, targets in the passing game, it's hard to imagine that UCLA is going to have too many difficulties essentially covering one guy. Uh, there's Tiger Backmeyer as well, who can, you know, who did a little bit in this last game, but he's not great. Uh, you know, I, there, there's, there aren't that many dangerous weapons in Stanford's arsenal. Um, and so if they cover the one guy, they should be, UCLA should be pretty good. So I went with 31-17. I could easily see it being, um, I could easily see UCLA covering, um, the, the 17, um, but I'm just going to err on the side of it's another road game. And the unknown at quarterback just makes it, you know, a little bit more of a uh, of a of a difficult one to predict. And also, I've been very bad on picking UCLA games this year, so they'll almost certainly cover um, because I, I think I'm one and four right now, which is crazy because I'm really good on the Pac-12 generally. Uh, this is like one where I've got like a proximity issue because I am 28, 19, and one on the Pac-12 this year and one and four on UCLA. So if you took out UCLA, I'd be 27 and 15 and one. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, all right. So that's the, that's the football game. I, I have every confidence UCLA will be five and two coming out of that game. So I think people who are uh, concerned about a loss, um, you know, get more concerned maybe next week against Colorado and certainly more concerned at Arizona in a couple of weeks. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, so that's uh, the football game tomorrow. Uh, for basketball, uh, it was announced this, this is just going to be brief. It was announced this week that the exhibition game uh, will be Halloween uh, at 6 p.m., which, I mean, for me personally, that kind of sucks because that's Halloween. Um, and you know, I've got small kids, um, but you know, got to fit it in somewhere. Uh, it's going to be Dominguez Hills at 6 PM. Uh, I think it'll be really interesting for everyone to watch that, um, including me, um, just to see what rotations look like initially. Um, and some of these guys who we haven't seen in a real game, uh, at least since like FIBA clips, you know, what they look like and, you know, seeing if, you know, Dembona has been, um, you know, that shoulder has been kind of a, I, I won't say a lingering issue, but it's, um, you know, last we heard, still not fully cleared for contact. Will he be in 11 days? I think these are, st- you know, the season has kind of snuck up on us a little bit. Um, but we are uh, just over two weeks out from the actual first game of the year, November 6th. Um, so there's... There's still some things to work out here. Um, and so there's there's going to be – it's going to be really interesting to see a lot of these guys for the first time in a UCLA uniform playing in a game. Uh, it looks like it's going to be live-streamed uh, on UCLABruins.com. So uh, there will be ways to watch it. But I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm excited to see – this is one of those years where it's just going to be um, – and, I, I again, I'm going to caution everyone. It's going to be one of those years where you just have to – Go in with relatively low expectations for the first couple of months. It's going to take a while for them to figure out what they have, who they have, uh, what guys do best, what guys do not so well. Um, and uh, I, they're going to take some lumps. Um, so just baking that into the way you think about the season, I think, will leave you in a much more, um, uh, you know, uh, easygoing state heading into January. But like with all Mick Cronin teams, I would expect them to be pretty good come January, February, March. Um, it's the biggest test of that, I would say, than uh, the biggest test of that since probably year one. Uh, but I think it's still a truism. Uh, the team that we see take the floor in November will be vastly improved uh, by the time February comes around. So uh, just some context for heading into the exhibition and then the season. And then I wanted to talk about just kind of broad-based um, program-level concerns people keep bringing up on the message board. And I sure, I'm sure in like a lot of conversations, if people are having conversations about UCLA football, um, a lot of what people are discussing right now, which is just kind of, um, you know, where do things go from here? Where do things go with, um, you know, the state of the program right now, uh, how things look Um and you know what you know what's the state of chip kelly's 
you know, uh, status at UCLA, all that kind of stuff. So I, I think there's like a lot of interesting um, ways to think about Chip Kelly's tenure. Um, so starting at the beginning, I think there was a lot of just baked in goodwill from, I would say, 90% of fans uh, who, again, not everyone's just steeped in the minutia of this stuff. They remember Chip Kelly as that guy up at Oregon who dominated college football for four years. And frankly, that was 95% of my thinking, too. Um, you know, I had the 5% caution of, wow, I read that Chris Brown story about the Niners offense and it didn't sound very good from 2016. Uh, but for the most part, I'm thinking, oh, well, he's going to go back to college and start doing his college things again. Um, and so I think that goodwill uh, carried carried at least a couple of years for most people. Now, I'm I'm a I'm an hardened skeptic. So I was, you know, I got pretty skeptical midway through the first year. Um, then I got, you know, I, I recovered a little bit after that. I thought, you know, they'd found some things offensively towards the end of that first year. And then the way they started 2019, I got more skeptical again. Uh, but I've been, uh, you know, Tracy calls me a bit of a weather vane. But um, the, the big thing is I'm willing to I'm willing to change my mind at any given moment. Um, and it comes from a place of being wrong so often that you become willing to change your mind. Um, but at different points, I've been like, okay, well, this could work out. And it, it, this is just from my perspective. It feels like every time I uh, I start thinking, oh, well, this could work out, there's another kind of down to, like, brings you right back down to earth. Um, and for so many moments. Um, but so I was, I was pretty skeptical coming in, like, midway through 2019. And I probably didn't get out of being skeptical again until... 2021 when they beat LSU at home and I'm like oh wow that was something and I had you know reading national writers talking about UCLA for the first time since the Mora years I'm like wow this is awesome um and then the next game happened against Fresno State um and it's just you know that that sapped some of that goodwill and then over the course of that year it just felt like at every given moment where UCLA got a little bit of momentum there was suddenly a, a one of those sapping moments right where it was just uh Ooh, not so great. Um, mo and probably most egregiously was uh, they end the year on a pretty high note. They beat USC, beat Cal, and then they can't even play in a bowl game, which is no fault of uh, Chip Kelly. Um, but uh, still, it was just kind of this 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 give and take that I, I don't think anyone was really enjoying as it was going along. Um, and so that year ended in this eight and four that is constantly now debated on the board as whether that was a good or a mediocre season. And I think for people who just, you know, are counting wins, hey, I, I saw my team win eight times, that's good. And then some people are, you know, making the argument, and I've made it too, where, well, the eight wins were all over bad teams and the four losses were all to good teams. So what, you know, where does that lie? Um, that's just a function of schedule. Um, but I totally understand people who say, well, they won eight times. What do you want? They, they were dealt the schedule they were dealt. So that one, uh, but I think we could all agree that's not the season that kind of builds a whole bunch of goodwill. Like it doesn't, it's not 10 and two and playing in the Rose Bowl. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's kind of in that middle ground. It's kind of in that, okay, sure. Uh, then the next year happens and the next year is, I would say, 
2022 was this kind of unexpectedly awesome start to the season where UCLA sweeps the non-conference. Um, obviously, the, the South Alabama game came with some concerns when South Alabama very easily could have won that game, but swept it. Uh, then they beat Colorado, beat Washington, and beat Utah. Now, they get both games at home, but they beat both of those teams. And you're thinking, okay, they're 6-0, and and now they get to go on the road against Oregon. This offense is awesome. I think that game could be a win. And then the Oregon game was, it finished 45-30. It easily could have been a lot worse than that. But, okay, it's one loss, 6-1. and And then they go on another little run. They beat Stanford really bad. Then they go on the road and beat ASU, and it's 8-1. and and all they have to do is get past a improved but still not good Arizona team to go into USC at 9-1 and one with all kinds of implications on the line. Like just, I mean, there would have, it was, there were so many things. Like, let me look up what Arizona and what, what UCLA was ranked going into Arizona in 2022. Because I think it was... Number 12. So UCLA was number 12 going into Arizona. Now, I can't remember the exact dynamics of who was ranked ahead of them at that time, but it wouldn't have been far-fetched for then the USC-UCLA game the next week to be a top 10 matchup, the kind of matchup that gets game day out there. Um, The kind of matchup that, and that matchup would have had major implications for the conference, major implications potentially for the playoff. Uh, One loss back 12 team was not going to get booted. Um, And then... They lose to Arizona, and it's that moment that saps a whole bunch of that goodwill. Then, you know, that goodwill gone, they lose to USC um, in a very, very competitive game, um, but they lose, beat Cal, and so finish the year 9-3, and three, but again, you're kind of left with 9-3, uh, and three, but it could have been, like, the butt is almost, like, built into the 9-3 and three because of the way the season ended. It's a 9-3, and th- like, if it was a 9-3 and three where you beat USC and you lost to Utah at the beginning of the year, it would have been a different deal. But the season ended in this kind of just rough fashion where you lose 2-3. And then the bowl game happened where UCLA had a big lead and then, you know, gacked it away again uh, at the end against uh, Pittsburgh. So it's, it's again, the situation where, like, so close to being in the position where you can, um, I keep saying goodwill, but, like, build up a little bit of, like, fan base. Um, I mean, goodwill is the right word for it. Um, but, like, this idea that you put a little money in the bank if you're Chip Kelly, if you're this program that's kind of just, it seems like it's always on the cusp of getting that, like, big fan support, that big wave that can happen that we've seen happen over the years with successful UCLA coaches where suddenly you are getting 60,000 people to a game and you are getting, uh, you know, the occasional sellout against a really good team. Uh, so close to getting there. and But for, I mean, for me, beat Arizona and go in and play that exact same game against USC and still lose uh, finish that year 10 and two regular season. I think it's a whole different conversation right now. Um, or flip the two, uh, beat USC at eight and two, then beat Cal and finish 10 and two whole different conversation. Um, you know, I, I don't know if the bowl game would have had as much of an impact against Pitt, but even that one, it saps a little bit of, uh, people's, 
you know, that, that sense of, um, you know, things are going in the right direction. So I think there's just been a lot of these kind of inflection points just missed, missed opportunity, missed opportunity, missed opportunity. And so that's the context that you apply to that. I think a lot of people, I should say, are applying to this year because this year you still has four and two. And I think if anybody was predicting the season, they would have said, yeah, four and two sounds about right at that point, right? They've got two road games against ranked teams, Utah and Oregon State. Um, so, okay, that makes sense. Um, but it's these, because of all of these missed opportunities at different points, especially in the last two years, to really kind of break through, to really get to that next level, because of all these missed opportunities, um, or you do break through, sorry, you, you, you beat Utah and Washington back to back and you're six and oh, but then you have this regression game against Arizona where you're losing a game that you absolutely should not. And then you, you don't, you don't get back from that with, uh, the game against USC. And then you don't get back from that with, uh, the game against Pitt. Um, this kind of just constantly falling back from what, um, from, from, a, from a level that I think UCLA fans, even as bad as the last 25 years has been, uh, UCLA fans still would, would, it's not so much want, it's, and it's short of expect, but like, if they're going to be following the program, they would like it to at least challenge occasionally the idea of being a Rose Bowl contender. Um, and to keep falling short of even that mark, I think it has a, a, a an exhaustive effect uh, on UCLA fans. So anyway, four and two this year, but the two were each kind of, again, those missed opportunities for an inflection point, those missed opportunities for something that puts you above the threshold of... Um, you know, baseline average, baseline slightly above average, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it was the way it happened too. You know, for for five years, UCLA has been building and building and building this very, very good offense um, and did it with, you know, this past year, uh, uh, virtually, uh, I won't say perfect offense, but pretty darn close. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Zach Charbonnet, Jake Bobo, that offensive line, the combination of it all was a top 10 offense. Um, and so then for that to fall apart and that to be the reason, while UCLA is building this incredible defense uh, through the first five games, I, I think that's also like, uh, that's that's very disappointing for people. So to lose the Utah game because you can't score any points and then to lose the Oregon State game because you, you, you keep throwing the ball away. Um, to the other team it's just it that that kind of stuff i think adds up for fans and makes it harder and harder um to get energized for it to get excited about it and you know at a baseline level that's what a lot of the a lot of what goes into you know hiring and firing and all that kind of stuff is you know how excited are fans for you and that's not just baseline guard variety fans who go to games but how excited are donors for you how excited are you know you know, how much juice does this program have? Um, and it's these missed opportunities that I think weigh on the program. Um, and so, you know, at four and two right now, yes, from a record perspective, it's about what you would have expected. But I think for fans, it's, uh, it's a different sort of deal. Um, I think for like prognosticators, for members of the media like me, it's like, well, okay, four and two sounds about right. Uh, but I think for fans, they're just, they've been, they've been waiting a long time. 
Um, and, you know, going back again to the beginning of the Chip Kelly era, you had this built-in idea about what it would be. And then that was quickly, relatively quickly, um, quashed. But then you've got these moments where it looks like it's about to break through, where it looks like Chip Kelly's plan is working, where 2021, 2022, okay, all right. Um, and then each of these moments, it's the classic, you know, Lucy pulling the football away. And I think for a lot of fans who, you know, and I don't even know how deeply they're thinking about it, but like the just the feeling they associate with UCLA football is probably not a, you know, not not hugely positive. I mean, it's probably still a good time, you know, okay, I can go with my kids or whatever, but it's not, maybe not the, the thing that um, it used to be uh, for them. So I don't know, that's, that's kind of my, my explainer for what the, the fan base state is right now, at least from what I'm observing, because there's also some interesting things going on with like, you know, not to get too into the weeds about it, but more than any other year, I would say this year, when there's a loss, it seems like it's deflating, like partially for traffic, but also just like the the conversation on the board seems to kind of die a little bit. Um, and in previous years, it felt like, you know, when there's a loss, it might be suddenly the surge of communication because people are pissed off about it, right? Uh, but now it seems like there's almost an element of resignation to it. Um, and that's never a good place to be. That's never a, a, you know, that's not what you want from fandom. Like when you signed up to be a fan, it, it's not because you didn't care. <laughs> like it's, it's because you cared um, and good or bad, you cared. Uh, and so for there to be an element of resignation, for there to be an element of, eh, well, okay, well, I guess I'll move on to something else. Um, that's not a good state to be in. So I guess long story short, uh, I think I think Chip Kelly needs to build some of that this year. I think the the back half of this year, it's there's a ramp up. There's a there's there's this opportunity over the next four games because Arizona's improved. Going on the road there is not going to be easy. I'll call it a coin flip for right now. But Stanford, Colorado, and ASU, those are all really winnable games. Um, sweeping through the next four and going into USC eight and two with a real opportunity again for that moment where there's a breakthrough where okay 10 and 2 is now in the sights because you know you beat USC that's the kind of thing that um could get you back into you know I think that's the kind of thing that could be exciting for everyone that could get everyone back on board but I do think it like uh, and this isn't like I'm not saying Chip Kelly's gonna get fired if he doesn't go you know minimum of five and one over the next six games But I do think for establishing goodwill, especially going into the Big Ten next year, um, and I mean, there's just, I think there's a lot riding on the end of this season. Maybe I'll say that. Um, Where I just, it doesn't feel um, like UCLA can continue to afford having seasons that don't energize the fan base. Um, And I don't think, I think for all the good that last year did, especially at the beginning of the year, I think the way that season ended made it non-energizing. I think 2021 was in a lot of ways non-energizing despite being a effective season, uh, despite being eight and four. Um, and obviously the first three years were what they were. Um, I think for this year to be one of those energizing seasons, it kind of needs to be nine and three at minimum. So I don't know. I don't know. I think it's a, it's a, it's a weird spot. Um, and I think, They've got their work cut out for them. Uh, 
quarterback being what it is right now, where uh, Dante Moore has really, really struggled, but the other options also don't seem that great, um, it presents a really, really difficult challenge that um, Chip Kelly hasn't had to deal with since basically year one, maybe year two. Um, so there's there's a lot to lot to figure out here, and it's it's going to be a tough road to get there um, to that nine and three, but. Um, I do think that's kind of the, the, the minimum for keeping this fan base even remotely energized and keeping them kind of engaged with the program and keeping them engaged with UCLA football. Um, so anyway, that's kind of my philosophical explainer of uh, what's going on with UCLA football right now. And uh, yeah, that's about all for me. Uh, you've heard enough babbling from me for one day. Um, I'll be back with you after the game way late tomorrow night. And thanks for tuning in. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network.